This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. On this show, I usually prefer sharing true tales, but for this week's episode, I wanted to do something a little different. This past October, I was commissioned by the Grand Rapids Public Library in Michigan to create an original weekly spooky story, and I wanted to share three of my favorites. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 1 Beware of Kuchisake Ona. It was around 2 a.m. in a small apartment near the University of Tokyo when Aiko was video chatting with her boyfriend, Riku. Her roommate, Hinata, burst out of her room with a giant rolling suitcase behind her and a bulging backpack around her shoulder. Aiko shot her a confused glance. What's with all the bags? Aiko asked. I'm heading to my mom's in Kawasaki for a while, Hinata replied. I told you that. Aiko stood up in anger. What? No! You can't be traveling right now. Haven't you been watching the numbers? COVID cases are the highest they've ever been. You absolutely cannot leave. Whoa, you need to calm down. Me and Riku haven't seen each other in weeks, and we're ten minutes away, but you don't see us complaining about it, do you? Hey, Hinata, Riku's voice echoed from Aiko's phone. This is for our own safety. Hinata looked away for a moment. My mom's, you know, she's not getting any younger. If something were to happen to her and I wasn't there... She trailed off and looked away. Aiko exhaled deeply. I'm sorry, Aiko said. I just want you to be safe. Just please, please be careful, okay? I've got plenty of hand sanitizer, disinfectant wipes, and the trains will probably be pretty empty, Hinata reassured her. I'll be fine, I promise. I'll see you once everything calms down a bit. Hinata hobbled through the living room with her bags. Just make sure you quarantine for two weeks before coming back. I don't want you bringing anything back here with you. Hinata nodded her head in agreement. Just as she reached for the door, Aiko added, Oh, and, um... Beware of Kuchisakeona. Inada turned to her. Riku sighed. Really, Aiko? God, you're so immature sometimes. Just let her leave. Wait, Kuchisakeona? That's like some super old urban legend, right? So you know the story then? Aiko asked. Ignore her, Hinata. Riku shouted through the phone. After what happened to Naomi, Hinata needs to know. Naomi was not killed by Kuchisakeona. It was a total freak accident. We don't... 
Aiko muted her phone. If you're going to be traveling alone right now, you need to know the story of Kuchisake Ona. A long time ago, in the Heian period, lived a samurai and his beautiful wife. She was so beautiful, in fact, that anyone who saw her couldn't help but stare at her enchanting brown eyes, her smooth skin, and flowing ebony hair. She would walk around town and coyly ask those who stared, Am I pretty? while fluttering her lashes flirtatiously. She loved the attention, but her husband did not. She would reassure him that it was all completely harmless. Aren't you proud to have such a beautiful and desirable wife? She would ask him. Her husband did his best to subside his jealousy, but one day he discovered that she was a liar and that she was being unfaithful to him just as he had suspected. So one day, when she was brushing her hair, he snuck up behind her and grabbed her head. He drew a knife and dragged the blade across her mouth from cheek to cheek, leaving her with a horrendous gaping wound, a permanent red smile. Who will think you're pretty now, he said. She ran out of the house in tears. Everyone stared at her, but this time in disgust. She pleaded for their help, but no one would come near her. She ran far away from her village until she could run no longer. She laid on the ground by the river, blood flowing from her mouth just as the water next to her. This is where she died, completely alone. After her death, there were rumors that she had returned to the village, but as a vengeful ghost. They called her Kuchisake Ona, the slit-mouthed woman. Villagers claimed to see her wounded face in the streets at night when they were completely alone. Well, those who were lucky enough to get away in time. Centuries later, people still report seeing Kuchisake Ona. They say that she blends into the crowds, wearing a trench coat and a surgical mask to hide her twisted grin. She targets those who are alone. She will approach you and ask you a question. Am I pretty? If you answer yes, she will remove her mask and reveal her disfigured face and ask you again, Am I pretty now? And if you don't answer yes again, she will, Oh crap, I'm going to be late for my train. Hinata interrupted Aiko's story and made her way again toward the door. You're still going to leave after what I just told you? Aiko called out after her. Aiko, I'm not 12. Good story, though. I'll see you when I see you, okay? And Hinata walked out the door. The streets were dead quiet. Hinata chuckled to herself at the thought of Kuchisake Ona being real. Just then her phone rang, causing her to skip a step. Hey, you. Ugh, I thought she'd never get off that call, said Riku's voice from the phone. I'll see you in a little bit, Hinata replied. Not unless Kuchisake Ona gets you, said Riku playfully. She finally reached the train station and waited at the platform, which was completely empty, just as she expected. She boarded, took out her disinfectant wipes, and wiped down her seat before sitting down. As the train began to move, she pulled off her mask and placed it in her bag. She then pulled out her phone and began playing Bejeweled. At the next stop, she noticed out of the corner of her eye 
someone get on the car adjacent to hers. She looked up and saw a woman with long black hair down her back, turning to sit in a seat. Her trench coat collar was popped up a bit, and her surgical mask hid most of her face. Plenty of people wore trench coats, Inada thought to herself. She looked back down at her game, but she couldn't stop thinking about the woman in the next car over. She lifted her head again to look at her, and saw her pressed up against the window of the car, her dark brown eyes looking right at her. Hinata jumped in her seat. The woman opened the door and came inside, seemingly in a confused panic. Hi, I'm so, so sorry. Can I ask you a question? She said, extremely apologetically. I think I got on the wrong train, but I'm not sure. Are we going north or south? Um, we're, uh, north, Hinata replied still catching her breath from being startled. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. The woman bowed and sat down across from Hinata. Hinata pulled her phone out again. Her eyes may have been on her game, but her focus was entirely on the woman sitting across from her. I'm so sorry. The woman spoke again, leaning towards Hinata. Can I ask you another question? Um... Of course, what's up? Hinata asked, trying to hide the shakiness in her voice. Well, the woman stood up. I'm on my way to see my boyfriend. She took a step closer. We haven't seen each other since the lockdown, and gosh, I know this sounds so silly, but... She took another step closer. Every muscle in Hinata's body was completely tense. How do I look? Like, like do I look okay, or... The woman was a foot away from Hinata silently waiting for a response. I, um, I, I, I think you look great, Hinata replied cautiously. Mask and all. Oh, good, good, thanks. I appreciate that, the woman replied. But, um, just to be sure. She crouched down until she was face to face with Hinata. Do you think I'm pretty now? The woman peeled the mask off of her face to reveal a mouth completely cut open at the sides, revealing all of her rotten teeth. The woman let out a loud, pungent breath in Hinata's face as Hinata's screams echoed inside the empty train car. At the Tabata station, Riku was waiting at the platform. He checked the time on his phone every couple of seconds. Finally, the train arrived, and Hinata stepped out, mask on her face. Hey, um, no bags? Riku asked, confused. Hinata didn't say a word. Are you okay? Riku removed the mask around her face and gasped. Her mouth had been slit open ear to ear. Hinata collapsed onto the ground. Riku dropped to his knees next to her and cried into her neck. He heard footsteps coming from the train. A pair of black boots approached him. He looked up. The masked woman in a trench coat was standing above him. Can I ask you a question? Chapter 2 The Heartless Man Gene had just moved to Cebu City in the Philippines, leaving his boyfriend Kevin alone in their apartment in Manila. 
The gig is only a couple of months, Jean assured Kevin over video chat. You have to video call me every day after work, okay? Kevin pleaded. You promise? Jean held his pinky up to the camera. Promise. A week had gone by, and Jean kept his word. They talked every single night. He didn't love that Kevin was so needy, but he knew that he would eventually grow out of it and knew that this relationship was worth holding on to. One night, Jean and Kevin were on a video call. Jean was on his computer in his room, his back turned to his bedroom door. He was telling Kevin about the long shoot he had that day, when Kevin's brow wrinkled. Babe, I thought you said you lived alone. Yeah, I do. Then who just walked past your doorway? Jean swiveled his chair around. Oh, you're probably seeing the tree outside. One sec. Jean left the room for a minute and returned. Kevin's heart began to pound. There's this tree outside that casts weird shadows, but I closed the curtains now so it won't bother you anymore, okay? Kevin's silent face stared back at Jean. Show me the tree, he asked. Are you serious? Show me the tree. Jean let out a heavy sigh and picked up his laptop. Kevin watched intently as Jean aimed the camera at the windows. He opened the curtain, revealing an eerily shaped tree. He then pointed the camera toward his doorway, where a humanoid shadow appeared. Kevin hung his head in shame and chuckled. Kev, if this is going to work, we need to trust each other, Jean said. I know, I know, sorry. I'll be better, I swear. Kevin held his pinky up to the camera. Jean did the same. The next night, Jean and Kevin hopped on a video call as usual. Jean was filling him in on how his shoot went when somebody crossed the dory behind him. Jean was so focused on telling his story that he didn't even notice the shift in Kevin's expression. Kevin continued to nod and pretend to listen while he secretly began to record their video call, both hoping and not hoping to see the person walk by again. A half hour had gone by, and Kevin's focus had never left the doorway. Are you okay? You've been kind of quiet, Jean asked. Yeah, sorry, I'm just kind of tired, that's all. Okay, well, I miss you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Just as Jean ended the call, Kevin caught something moving in the doorway. He quickly replayed the recording. In the last few moments before Jean ended the call, there was a single frame of what was clearly a man standing in the doorway. Kevin's heart sank. The next day, Kevin's anxiety was at an all-time high. Jean had been lying to him, and now he had proof. But how was he going to call him out on it? Kevin was giving himself a stomach ache thinking about it. He decided that when they got on their nightly call, he would just be direct. 7 p.m. came, and Kevin answered Jean's call. Hi, Kev. How was your day? But Kevin didn't say a word. He shared his screen, revealing the screenshot from the video last night. Mm, I don't get it. What is that? You've been lying to me, Jean, Kevin said curtly. Why would you do this to me? Kev, I swear, I don't know who that is. I swear. 
He held his pinky up to the camera. We're done, Jean. I'm going to start looking for my own place. Have fun with your friend. Oh, look, there he is. The man entered Jean's bedroom. Kevin ended the call and cried into his hands. After a few moments, he collected himself and pulled up the recording of the video call he just ended. Show me your face, you bastard, Kevin muttered to himself. He scrubbed the video until the end. The man entered the bedroom. Jean turned around, fell out of his seat, and screamed. As the man got closer to camera, Kevin's eyes grew wider. The man appeared to have a gaping hole in his chest. He then grabbed Jean's face and the call ended. Kevin sat in silence for a moment. Whatever he saw could not have been human. He began searching the man's description on the internet. A few articles came up. Tao Sawalai Gugma, the man with no heart. According to multiple websites, Tao Sawalai Gugma was once a man He never found a love in life and became old and bitter. When he passed, he became a vengeful spirit, seeking out fragile relationships and breaking them down so that everyone can be miserable like he was. Once he's gained enough power from the negative energy they produce, he consumes the couple and moves on to the next. Kevin couldn't look away from his screen. This was all his fault. He quickly booked a ticket to Cebu City and headed straight for the airport. A few hours later, he found himself outside of Jean's apartment. Jean was not answering the buzzer or his phone. It was too early in the morning for any of the other tenants to walk out and let him in. Kevin looked around the building, trying to come up with a plan. And that's when he noticed the familiar, creepy tree. There was only one set of windows immediately next to it. Kevin raced over to the window and managed to push it open. He climbed inside the apartment. It was quiet. Babe? Kevin called out quietly. No response. Across the apartment was a room with light emanating from the open doorway. Kevin carefully made his way toward it. As he got closer, he heard a very odd sound. He crept up to the doorway and slowly looked inside the room. At the desk was Jean's limp, lifeless body. He was in the arms of a skinless, hellish creature who was devouring Jean's chest. Kevin let out a horrified gasp. The creature lifted its head, with bits of Jean's heart still dangling from its mouth, and lunged at the doorway. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. Your listeners 
listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Chapter 3. Where Heaven and Hell Intersect Megan walked into her homeroom class one morning. Her black nails, Ouija planchette necklace, and horror-pin-covered backpack set her apart from her other classmates in uniform. Her friends, Rachel and Tessa, were huddled next to each other with their backs turned. Megan grinned, slowly crept up behind them, and let out a deep, fake growl in their ears. They both jumped. (laughs) I totally got you, Megan laughed. But Rachel and Tessa were not laughing along. God, what's with you today? Megan said, disappointed. They found something on Elliot's computer this morning. It's been all over the news, Tessa said. She pulled up the video on her phone. Elliot Rodriguez, a junior at St. Regent High, has been missing for the last seven days. But this morning, authorities have made a discovery that might offer clues to his disappearance. The video showed a poorly designed website entitled Where Heaven and Hell Intersect. This was the last website Elliot visited before his disappearance. It lists a set of rules to follow. According to the website, if done correctly, you will be transported to either heaven or hell, depending on where you will end up. Oh my god, Megan said. Do you think that ritual actually works? Rachel shot her a disgusted look. Your obsession with all this dark stuff is going to get you in trouble one day, said Rachel. A guy is missing. You don't need to do the ritual. We already know you'd end up in hell, Tessa snorted, playfully punching Megan's arm. What if this was just a setup? Rachel continued. You know, like whoever took him made it look like this website is what got him. God, I just feel bad for his parents. Oh, right. Didn't his brother die recently too? Tessa mentioned. What if that's why he tried the ritual, you know, to see his brother or something? Did they ever find out how it happened? Megan asked. Total freak accident, said Tessa. He had a heart condition that just randomly acted up. The bell rang, and it was time to head to class. Megan couldn't stop thinking about that website and about that ritual. After school, Megan came home and locked herself in her room. She pulled out her laptop and searched where heaven and hell intersect. News article after news article popped up, speculating the disappearance of Elliot. Megan scrolled page after page until finally she found the original website. The black background with neon green text made it look incredibly outdated and insincere. She began to read the rules. Number one, go to an intersection in the street. It has to be 3 a.m. and you have to be completely alone. If any cars drive by, it will not work. Number two, close your eyes and cover your face with your hands. Number three, walk across the intersection, chanting this phrase. 10, 9, 8, 
Seven, guide me on my way to heaven. Six, five, four, three, unless the other realms for me. Two, one, it has begun. Number four, do not open your eyes until you've crossed to the other side of the street. If you have performed the ritual successfully, you will now find yourself in either heaven or hell, depending on where you will go in the future. Do not be fooled. It will look very similar to Earth. Number five, you must leave the realm after five minutes or risk being stuck. To return, you need to repeat the same process, but starting from the other side of the intersection and walking backwards. Megan closed her laptop. Her eyes fell on her wall, where the program for her cousin Beth's memorial service from two weeks earlier was pinned. She had been found dead in her room after an accidental medication interaction. It happened very suddenly, and Megan never got any closure. Megan pulled out her phone, set her alarm to 2.50 a.m., and laid on her bed. Megan sat up and silenced her alarm. Slowly, she crept past her parents' room and out the door. She walked past her neighborhood park and a couple more houses down until she reached an intersection. She looked up and down the street to make sure there were no cars and no people. She set a timer on her phone for four minutes. When she felt it was safe, she covered her eyes and began to walk and chant. Ten, nine, eight, seven, guide me on my way to heaven. Six, five, four, three, unless the other realms for me. Two, one, it has begun. Megan opened her eyes. She was still in her neighborhood. Everything looked the same. Well, that's disappointing, she said to herself. She began to walk back to her house. As she passed the park, she heard voices coming from the swing set. A pair of twins she hadn't noticed before were laughing loudly now. She continued to walk. Hi, neighbor. A man walking his dog across the street called out to her. Megan waved politely and began to quicken her pace. She entered her house and exhaled a sigh of relief. She walked to her kitchen to grab a glass of water. She flipped on the light and stopped. Someone was sitting at the dining table, crying. Megan turned to see who it was. At the table was Beth the cousin she buried weeks ago. The whites of her eyes were completely red and dry, and her cheeks were soaked with tears. Oh my God. Megan couldn't believe it. The ritual had worked. Bev, I can't believe you're here. I I have so many things I need to ask. How did you end up here? Beth asked. I, I found out about this ritual, and I wanted to try it to see if I could see you, and... Oh, oh, and Wes? He died from a heart condition. See, it wasn't our fault. We didn't do anything. Beth stared motionless at her. Her eyelashes webbed with tears, her brow wrinkled in sadness and confusion. Why are you telling me this? Beth said, not moving her gaze. I, I thought you would want to know. You were so worried that something was going to happen to us or people would think that... Think what? That we killed him? Beth said. We didn't kill anyone. His heart killed him, Megan replied, sternly. 
Beth's red eyes looked at her in anger and disbelief. You were my favorite cousin, Megs. I was willing to do whatever you wanted, but you took it too far that night, and I couldn't live with the guilt. It was a harmless prank, Megan said shortly. You're still going to deny it? Even now that you're here? You really are unbelievable. Beth, I'm not really dead. Wait, where am I? Megan asked shakily. Beth scoffed. (laughs) Where you deserve to be, Megs. Megan's timer went off in her pocket. Just as the front door flung open, footsteps and voices calling her name began to flood the house. Megan ran to the living room and frantically tried to open the window. The voices were getting closer. She managed to slide the window open and pop out the screen. She threw herself out onto the front yard and rolled onto the grass. Once she got back on her feet, she ran, ran towards the intersection where she came from. Her mind was racing as she tried to remember what the rules were for returning back home. She passed the park, now filled with children, all making a beeline towards her. Her chest hurt, her legs begged for rest, but she didn't stop until she reached the intersection. She started on the opposite side as before and walked backwards across the street. But when she reached the other end, she felt dozens of hands grab her all over her body and pull her to the ground. Another student from St. Regent High has been reported missing. The disappearance of junior Megan Redwood makes this the second mysterious disappearance from this school. Authorities are looking into the situation, and if anyone has any information on Megan's whereabouts, please notify the police. Thank you for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties or private tarot readings. If you'd like to submit a story, email me at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to the Grand Rapids Public Library. Beware of Kuchi Sake Ona was written by Sapphire Sindalo. The Heartless Man and Where Heaven and Hell Intersect were written by Sapphire Sindalo and Adam Sinker. Theme song written by Sapphire Sindalo. For more information about the show, visit storieswithsapphire.com.